Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Justin. I am the Next Generation Pastor here at HHICC. We are so thankful for you guys joining us here in person and for those of you guys that are joining us here online, especially because uh, rumor has it there's some big games going on this afternoon. I don't know. Anybody excited about finding out who's going to be in the Super Bowl this afternoon? It's like the, there's like two Bills fans in the room, apparently, and that's... Uh, that was about it. I can tell the uh, volume on the island is noticeably quieter considering, you know, like the Steelers and the Browns and the Patriots aren't in it anymore, which I think we can all be unified by the fact that the Patriots aren't in the playoffs this year. It's, at least there's a little more excitement about that. And I'm not even going to mention, you know, the Panthers or the Falcons. I mean, no offense, Todd. You know, it just is what it is. But uh, I, I don't, to be honest with you, I don't really have a dog in the fight this year. I'm going to watch it just because I like football and maybe to check out the commercials uh, this year. But it's kind of funny because I'm going to start talking about commercials for a second. And the reason is, is because my title, like I just mentioned, is the next generation pastor. And I kind of want us to get our heads around this idea of the next generation for a second. And commercials actually are a helpful little illustration to give you an idea of some of the differences because you see, when we talk about the next generation in a very simple way, right, I kind of just mean the people that are coming up after us, right? In, in terms of my title here at the church, that really specifically means our children, our students, our young adults, right? It's the next generation. But if we get a little more subtle and nuanced in there, right, maybe what we would call the next generation really actually has a couple levels to it, right? We have those that we would call millennials. And then we have Gen Z. And sometimes people don't really have this straight. I'm here to tell you there is a difference. Millennials and Gen Z are not the same thing. And sometimes, you got, I'm not naming any names that some of the older crowd here, but sometimes millennials get a bad rap for things that Gen Z is doing. All right? So I'm here. I'm going to explain the difference to you for a second. All right? Matt and I are millennials. All right? We're actually kind of starting to get old a little bit. Okay, Gen Z are like, those are our students and our children and our children's ministry right now, right? That is really the next, next generation that is on their way up. And there are differences between us. You see, when I was growing up, us millennials, we had it hard, right? If you were watching your favorite TV show, right, and you needed to go to the bathroom or you wanted to grab something out of the fridge, you had to wait for a commercial to come on and you had to sprint to get there and to get back in time. Right? We didn't have any of this pause button you know, kind of stuff that all these Netflix kids have these days. Right? It was tough in my day. Right? It's, it, and honestly, you know what? It's funny because now our kids, they don't even really have commercials anymore. Right? It's ads. And you can just skip them. Right? Where was that when I was a kid? Right? You had to endure those commercials. And so you know, as funny as it can be to use something silly like commercials to talk about these differences in the generations, there really are differences. And particularly, it's funny between millennials and Gen Z how many differences there can be. Because as close as we are in age, there really have been some massive technological shifts just from my childhood to the childhood of the teenagers and kids, my kids that are coming up now. Right? There are differences between every generation. Maybe it's the silly things like commercials that I'm talking about or no offense, Stephanie, knowing how to scan a QR code, right? There's, there's differences in the generations. And it might be those silly technological things, but it might be more serious things too, right? Every generation sees the world a little bit differently. 
Every generation has slightly different values or ways that they think things work. And one of the most serious differences that's becoming more and more evident is this. It's faith. The gospel isn't being passed on, at least like we should hope it would. And I'm going to give this disclaimer as we get into this this morning that this is a complex issue and there's a lot to it. And I don't want to oversimplify it, but, you know, and I don't want to be too dramatic, but I don't think it's any secret that the church in America feels like it's declining and particularly with young people. And again, I don't want to oversimplify it, but, you know, you could jump in and you could cite statistic after statistic to show that. In fact, every generation in the last 100 years has seen that statistical drop in the amount of people or the percentage of people that claim to be Christians. And that should worry us a little bit. Should worry us because some of you have sensed that decline or that failure just when you look out at our country as a whole or the church and you've kind of sensed this change in the perception of Christianity and faith and kind of how our country's going. Some of you, though, may have sensed that decline and that failure in a far more personal way. Maybe it's somebody in your life that's walked away or stayed away from the faith. It could be a son or a daughter, a grandson, a granddaughter, a friend, a sibling. Whatever it might be, we have seen these cases where the faith and the gospel isn't being passed on. Right? And every story, every person's different. Right? There's, there's all kinds of things that we could look at. But I think we can all agree that in the grand scheme, in a very general sense, that faith and the gospel aren't being passed on as well as they could be. And it's so important that it is. And so this morning, a couple of my hopes for us are that we'll see a couple of things. Number one, that I hope we will be able to see a little more this morning just how important entrusting the gospel to the next generation is. That it's critical to us, not just as a church, but even as individuals. And then I hope that as we kind of establish how important that is, that we'll find out a little bit in scripture just how we might do better at it, how we might be better at it. And so we're going to look this morning at, at some different things to see that, but I'm not sure if you caught one thing I just said, right? One of my hopes this morning is that you will see that there is nothing more important than entrusting the gospel to the next generation in our faith and in the life of the church. I'm going to say that again. There is nothing more important than what we're talking about this morning, about passing the gospel on. And that's a pretty big claim, And standing up here as the next generation pastor, it may seem like, okay, of course, I'm the next generation pastor. I'm going to make a big deal out of this, right? This is my area. Of course, I'm going to try to hype it up. But I think I can make a pretty convincing case to you this morning just how essential passing the gospel on is to the heart and the life of our faith and relationship with Jesus. It's essential. In fact, it's so critical that we have a name for it. We call it the Great Commission. It's one of the last things that Jesus said to his followers when he was on earth. You can find a famous example of it in Matthew 28. But basically this, as Jesus was leaving the earth, one of the last things that he chose to say to his disciples is this, 
go and make disciples. And this wasn't just some afterthought thing that Jesus added on, like as I'm, you know, he's taken off and it's like, yep, go make disciples, guys. Right? This was a reminder of the heart of his message and his desire for him. And, and that wasn't the first time that we see in scripture this heart that God has for passing on and entrusting the gospel. Right? You can see it in numerous places. In fact, one of the other uh, verses that you can find in scripture that I would argue could kind of be up there as maybe one of the most important verses in all of scripture is Deuteronomy 6. It's a passage known as the Shema in Judaism because it's a Hebrew word for hear, which is how the passage starts. And I want you to hear this. It's not going to be on the screen because I want you to hear it this morning and hear that even in this central text in the Old Testament, a text that traditionally practicing Jews still recite daily today, you can hear God's heart for the next generation. It sounds like this. It goes, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, you've likely heard the first part of that, particularly because Jesus picks up with that and he tweaks it a little bit, but he shares that idea of loving the Lord your God over and over again in the New Testament. But I don't want you to miss that in this original text, right there with love the Lord your God, he couples it with that line You shall teach them diligently to your children. You see, it's not just central to our mission as Christians to pass on the gospel. It's been central to God's people all throughout time. It was central to Israel. And it really has been from the very beginning. In fact, if you go back to Genesis 1, and you think about what are the first words that God said to humanity. Do you know what they are? Be fruitful and multiply. Now, obviously, when we hear that, we think about the physical sense of it, but we can't ignore a spiritual sense either. I think there's very much this idea that God said, I've made you like me, now go make more like us, right? Not just in that physical sense, but in the spiritual reality of the image of God that we have, right? And so God is by nature this creator, this giver, this sharer, this multiplier, and he calls us to be the same. It's in the very nature of our discipleship, of our life as disciples. But somehow, we so often forget it. You know, I think our, our faith can become a personal thing, or really not just a personal thing. A lot of times, it becomes a private thing. We think about our faith so much in terms of our relationship with God that we don't necessarily understand that it's just as important about our relationship with others and how we're passing it on. But sometimes even in, in the church, we get focused on praying and doing groups kind of for ourselves or reading the Bible. And honestly, we can have a shocking lack of concern for passing on the gospel to the next generation and our duty to evangelize and disciple. And we can end up neglecting it. We can be unconcerned with that. We get distracted. We have other priorities 
right? We, we worry about maybe repelling people and we don't feel competent enough sometimes to share like we think we need to. And it's not just with strangers, but sadly, even with our own children sometimes. And quite frankly, that should break our heart. And it's not a place that we can let ourselves stay, right? It should convict us. It should galvanize us to more because there's so much at stake. You see, in Judges 2, not long after that that passage in Deuteronomy 6 that we read, it talks about the generation kind of after Joshua, who was Moses' successor, right? So the generation coming after the generation that heard Deuteronomy 6. And Judges 2 describes them like this. It says, after them, another generation arose who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. And Judges 2 goes on to say that what they did was evil, that they abandoned the Lord and his ways, the God of their fathers, and that as a result, the Lord was against them. You see, the people that heard Deuteronomy 6 may have gotten that first part about loving the Lord, but they didn't get the second part about teaching their children diligently as well as they should have. And the next generation suffered for it. And I I can't teach about this today, honestly, without presenting the stakes. You see, I think part of our complacency in this area and the fact that some, it's so easy sometimes for us in the modern American church to kind of just neglect our duties a little bit of evangelism and discipleship is because we started to neglect a fundamental truth. And there's, there's reason for it that I'll get into in just a moment, but we can't forget that without a saving faith in Jesus Christ, right, that we are destined for eternal separation from God. Sometimes we shy away from that, and I I understand that because, right, there have been churches and seasons in the American church as a whole where maybe it's been too focused on that truth. And a lot of people have been hurt and pushed away by kind of that, you know, hellfire and brimstone approach, and I get that. I really do, but we have to be careful because that that pendulum can swing so quickly the other way. And our, our presentation absolutely may need to be different in how we go about having these discussions, but we can't neglect to present it because there is too much at stake. And we know that there's so much more to the story that God is a God of love and mercy and forgiveness and all the things that we do love to talk about. But we also can't forget that God is a God of justice and truth and wrath and that without a relationship with Jesus Christ, we're destined for eternal separation from God. And the next generation is destined for that unless the gospel is entrusted to them. Sometimes I think we get this picture that we're kind of spiritually neutral without Jesus. And that's kind of like, oh, they don't know Jesus, but I'm not that worried about it. They'll be okay. And we can't lie to ourselves about the stakes when we talk about what it looks like to pass the gospel on to the next generation. The only way that they will enjoy that relationship with God is if they hear the gospel. And the only way they'll hear the gospel is if somebody entrusts it 
to them. Somebody shows them, disciples them. And so when we talk today about this work of passing on the faith and entrusting the gospel to the next generation, we're talking about something so unbelievably important. And we can't neglect that. We're talking about the work of leading the next generation into a relationship with their heavenly father and the eternity and the life and the peace and the joy that comes with them versus standing by and watching them not have, you know, pretty good American lives and and they'll be okay. It's the difference of standing by and watching them while they drift off into eternal separation from their heavenly father. And so we have to have an urgency when we think about these things. It should convict us. We've got to do better. We've got to be better for the next generation. It has to be a driving passion in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. And thankfully for us, we still have the chance to do that. Right? We have the chance to be different than the generation that heard Deuteronomy 6. We have the chance still to pass it on regardless of where we're at. And if you've heard what I've said so far, and you've got somebody specific in your mind that this is a little discouraging to you, hear me right now that there is still a chance for you to pass it on, and there is still a chance for that person to hear the gospel and to come to faith in Jesus. But we have to make sure that we're doing our part to entrust it to them. And so I want us to take a look this morning at one of the best examples of a disciple-making relationship that we have in Scripture. It's the relationship of the Apostle Paul with Timothy. And so we're going to take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you have your Bible, if you want to turn there or if you want to open it up uh, on your phone, Uh, because most of us are familiar with the Apostle Paul, right? He's pretty famous. We know who that is. Maybe a little less so with Timothy. Timothy was actually a young man who became uh, a pastor in the city of Ephesus. But not only was he a pastor, he was really Paul's disciple. He was a student of or he learned from Paul. And I want you to see and hear what Paul has to say to Timothy in these verses, and not only what he has to say, but how he says it. And so this is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. I want you to hear those first couple of lines again, those first two verses. Paul says to Timothy, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see, Paul knows how critical disciple making is to our life of faith. And so he tells Timothy, not just be a good disciple, but what you've heard from me and trust to faithful men. And not only does Paul tell Timothy, you need to be making disciples, you need to be entrusting this, you need to be entrusting it to people and in a way that they are going to continue to make disciples. It was central to what Paul was doing because Paul wanted to make sure that Timothy knew disciples make disciples. 
It's part of their DNA. It's a fundamental truth to who we are when we become a follower of Jesus. And I think we can pick up a few tips about how to do that better, digging into this passage a little bit. And one of the primary things that I think we have to start to see is, it's kind of what I just said, it's that idea that disciples make disciples. The two go hand in hand. You can't be a disciple truly or fully without making disciples. It's kind of this two-sided nature of the life of a disciple. You see, I think a lot of times we think about a disciple as a follower. In fact, we use that terminology pretty frequently to say, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus. And that's not a bad term, right? But it really doesn't capture completely fully what God calls us to be as that disciple or that, that follower. That really as a disciple, what, what we're called to be is a Jesus replicator, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of others as well. We become not only a copy of Jesus, but a copy maker of Jesus. That's part of who God calls us to be. So when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus, it's not just about following and learning and sitting in church and consuming, right, and building up our own spiritual life. It's about the sharing and the teaching and the leading and the passing and the entrusting that God calls us to do because it's what Jesus did. And so to be his disciple, we have to do the things that Jesus did. The two sides go together, right? There's no way around it. And and I want you to think uh, about this for a second. When you talk about the two sides, right, you can talk about the receiving, the filling, the learning, the growing. And you can talk about that other side of of kind of pouring out, passing on, and trusting, teaching, right? And, And one thing that I think can be a good illustration of what that really looks like in our life as a disciple is to think about our spiritual lives as a cup, right? A, a cup can, can kind of do some different things. But honestly, maybe even a cup isn't the best illustration because a cup does things, right? A cup can be filled or it can pour out or it can kind of sit there, right? And when you talk about a cup and you think uh, about a cup or any body of water, right? If a cup only ever receives water, if it's only ever being filled up, at, at one point, sure, it may seem filled and healthy and good, but if you give it enough time, inevitably, what happens to any body of water that's been filled up and just left standing? Right? It becomes stagnant, and it dies. Right? Or on the flip side, if you take a cup and a, a cup that you picture that only ever pours out, right? you can only do that for so long before you become dried out and empty and burn out. And I have to tell you, church, that there are a lot of Christians in America that are stagnant or dried out. And so when we think about our life as a disciple, I think it's better if we start to tweak maybe this picture of, in our head of pouring out and being filled up, that it's not so much that image of a cup, but it's more like a pipe, right? A pipe, unlike a cup, doesn't really do things. It's not quite so much that action of being filled or pouring out, right? If you put water into a pipe, the water just comes out. Right? It's just part of what a pipe is. There isn't this action of having to then go and pour out. It's just part. If you put water in, water comes out, and God calls us to be disciples like that because disciples make disciples. It's part of our nature. We can't be filled up without pouring out. And so God calls us to be like a pipe that's connected to Christ, this source of living water in a way that it flows through us, it bubbles out, it pours out on others around us. 
And of course, you know, the metaphor breaks down a little bit. There's seasons when we're in church and we're learning and we're growing, and there's seasons maybe when we're more focused on pouring out. But the general idea is that God calls us to strive for, to have that constant filling and pouring in our lives of being disciples and making disciples. He calls us to have a lifestyle of it. And that starts with this. It starts by being the person that you want the next generation to be. It starts when we be the person that the next generation needs us to be. When we start to look like Jesus, most specifically, Paul says it like this. If you look back at the verse that we used in 2 Timothy, right? Paul told Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Follow him, learn from him, right? Be led by him. Let him fill you and support you. You know, even if you go back, our verses in Deuteronomy or Genesis that I kind of mentioned to you earlier, right? In those cases, it was love the Lord your God with everything in you. Be filled by him. Look like him. Or in Genesis, right? It was be fruitful and then multiply it. Elsewhere, Paul says it to Timothy in, uh, earlier in 2 Timothy. I want you to hear it like this too. He tells Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. He says, guard this deposit that's entrusted to you. Guard it, grow it, cultivate your spiritual life. Make, make it look like Jesus with his, self, uh, with his help, with dependence on him. Because it's that dependence on, it's that strengthening, it's that sanctification in our own lives that sets us up for the second part. It is out of our life of love for Jesus and our being made to look like him that we're in turn able to go and do that for the next generation. You may have heard, uh, heard this said maybe in politics or you know, in business circles that you can't lead someone somewhere where you haven't been or aren't yourself, right? And it's true. It's true in discipleship. Right, that it starts by us having that relationship with Christ and being made like him and being rooted in it and strengthened in it. But we have to remember, as I've said over and over again this morning, there is an essential second part to that. And the way I want to say that to you this morning is that second part of discipleship is this. It's pick a person and pass it on for them to see. Pick a person and pass it on for them to see. You see, after telling Timothy to be strengthened by Jesus, remember that what Paul said next is this. He says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust that to faithful men that will be able to teach others also. You see, Timothy and countless others were Paul's second step. They were his recipients of his pouring out, right? His step two was their step one. They were his outlet side of the pipe, so to speak. Right? In fact, he says uh, in 1 Corinthians, kind of talking to another group, he says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And you see the two legs of the journey, that he's imitating Christ and they are called to imitate him because he had picked these people and was actively passing it on for them to see. And Paul makes sure that Timothy doesn't, doesn't miss that he needs to do that too. Timothy needs to pick a person or people that he was committed to passing it on to. And this morning, church, we do too. 
We have got to intentionally pass on the gospel. Right? This church, you know, Christianity, it was never about us coming and just building our spiritual lives and kind of getting to heaven, right? So that we can feel better about ourselves, whatever that might be, right? This has always been a movement started by Jesus to glorify God and to bring people in, to know him and to be reconciled to him and to be made like him. And we've got to be a part of that. We have to have an outlet or it stops with us. And so I have to ask, who is that for you? Who is that for you? Is there somebody that comes to mind that is your person, your people, that you can entrust the gospel with? Right, and, and I'll make this disclaimer. The next generation can come in a lot of different forms. Right, naturally, I'm gonna talk about the, nung, the, the younger crowd, but I do want you to hear that the next generation for you, the person for you that you entrust the gospel with can look a lot of different ways. Maybe you're here this morning, you're watching online, and you're 85, and the next generation for you looks like the 65-year-old neighbor next door, right? Or your 80-year-old neighbor that you get together with, well, probably not during COVID, unfortunately, but, you know, whatever it might be. Maybe it looks like you in your 40s, your 50s, or your 60s, and your adult children that you're still entrusting the gospel to and trying to lead them towards Jesus. Or maybe it looks like you are a, a kid or a student here this morning, and you're not off the hook either. Maybe the next generation for you looks like a friend or a classmate. Maybe it even looks like a parent that doesn't know Jesus, right? That next generation can come in all kinds of different forms, but all of us need to realize that we're called to pass it on, and we're called to have somebody. And so I will tell you with a little bit of bias, but a whole lot of truth, why I think it's so important that we'd be doing this with the younger generation and the kids and the students that are coming up after us. And it's because in this newest generation, there's so much need, right? We can see the cultural forces that are speaking other truths and that are pulling in other directions, right? We know how many other messages are out there and there's so much opportunity too. It's not just the challenge that this next generation faces, it's the opportunity that we have too, Different statistics will tell you, kind of depending on where you look, that somewhere between 66% and 94% of American Christians begin their relationship with Jesus by the age of 18. And that's kind of, you know, statistically, that's not your best, uh, your most coherent uh, st- statistic, 66 to 94%. But wherever it is in that spectrum, it's critical that we be reaching our kids and our students. And so we need to be picking a person. And this youngest generation coming up, they're at a crucial age where they make a great person to pick. But whoever it is, we just need to be making sure that we are intentionally pursuing someone, praying for someone, speaking to someone, and intentionally entrusting the gospel to someone, whoever it is. But for just a second, if you're a parent, I want to make sure that we know how critical parenting is to this and how much of an opportunity it is for us, right? We've got a captive audience to fulfill that second part of our discipleship. If you're a parent, there are always eyes that are on you, learning from you, following you, figuring out what you care about, what you look like, right? I still remember as a kid growing up with my grandfather. I remember my grandfather being home on the weekends and going out 
And he would go mow the lawn or work in the yard. And he's always, he would always wear a pair of jeans and a white t-shirt, right? And so naturally, on the weekends, I wanted to wear a pair of jeans and a white t-shirt. And I wanted to go out in the yard and do the things that he did. And that's true for all of us, that our kids are watching us and they're learning from us and they're following us. But unfortunately, that can kind of work against us a little bit because parenting is our number one discipleship opportunity. But sometimes we kind of have this assumption that like, okay, well, I'm a Christian and my kids know that. And like, so they're going to pick up on it along the way. And that, that's just kind of good enough. Or maybe we even incorporate, uh, you know, some different things in our lives. Like we try to get them to youth group every now and then, you know, or we bring them to church with us, but it's just kind of that. And there's not much of a plan to it. And we have to be careful. And I'm going to tell you more about that in a second, but what I also want you to hear is this, because I know as I start talking about parents, there's a lot of people in the room that aren't parents. And it doesn't have to be your biological children. This idea of making disciples, it's kind of like having spiritual children that God calls us to. In fact, if you look, it's, it's so interesting in 2 Timothy that we were looking at, Paul refers to Timothy as his child, and he does it over and over again. It's just incorporated into every time that Paul writes Timothy. You can see these couple of quick examples real quick in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, and 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. Both times he opens these letters and he says, to Timothy, my true child in the says it this way. He says, to Timothy, my beloved child, right? In both cases, Paul is letting Timothy know, even though he's not his biological child, right? Timothy is his spiritual child. And so all of us are called to be disciple makers almost in this parenting role. But particularly with biological parents, we have to realize this, right? And, and this is true for all of us, right? We have to be asking ourselves when our kids see us, what do they really see? Are we just assuming that they see Jesus or do we really show Jesus to them? In order for that to really be true, we've got to understand what we're talking about this morning, that being a disciple means making disciples. And we've got to understand this about making disciples. It's that entrusting the gospel is intentional. Entrusting the gospel is an intentional thing. It's not something that really just happens. And I love that Paul uses this word and trust to talk about the gospel. He doesn't tell Timothy, hey, Timothy, like, make sure some people know what I told you. Pass it on, like, you know, show it to him. He says, entrust it to him or to them, right? We entrust things that are precious to us, that are important to us, that are priorities for it or for us. And when it comes to the gospel, in discipleship, we can't rely on passive passing. We can't just assume that it's going to happen. There's too much at stake. And to be honest with you, it's working less and less in our culture. Maybe there was a time that kids just kind of grew up being Christian because culturally that's kind of where we were at. That is not the case anymore. You cannot rely on passive passing or just assuming because your kids grow up in a Christian home that like they're just going to pick up on it. What I mean by that, right, is that we kind of just assume that it happens and we don't really have a plan. You know, again, maybe we kind of do a few things or we have an occasional, you know, spiritual talk. 
But what really God calls us to is entrusting it in a way that our kids see it pouring out of us constantly, that it is infusing our lives because we've been strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And we're like that pipe that as that water pours in, as God's love and grace and mercy pours out into our lives, it's going to pour out on our kids around us. And that they sense that and they learn that from us. You know, Andrea and I have a pretty tiny apartment. And occasionally, like if there's something I need her to see, maybe it was like a bill or, you know, a piece of mail or something like, I'll just kind of leave it out on the counter and I'll assume that she's going to come across it and see it, right? And that works some of the times. But if I have something important that I really need her to see, I'm not just going to leave it out on the counter and hope she picks up on it, right? I'm going to get it to her. I'm going to tell her. I'm going to let her know. I'm going to put it in her hands myself. I'm not going to leave it up to anybody else. And we've been called to entrust the gospel to our kids, whether they're biological or spiritual, with that same kind of care and that same kind of love and that same kind of urgency and passion. It's not something that we just leave out and leave to chance, right? We've got to do it with intention. We can't act like it's Plinko and just throw it out there, hope it bounces around and it ends up the way we want it to be. We've got to guide them into it. If we don't, Guys, their phones will. Social media will. YouTube will. The culture will. And those voices are getting louder and louder for our students, and we've got to make sure that the voice of Christ and the voice of our church through us as parents and disciple makers is every bit as prevalent in their lives. And trusting doesn't wait for the world to speak to them first. Right? It takes diligence. It takes care dedication and planning. You're not just hoping that your kids know the Lord. You're going to do everything possible in your power to make sure that while they're in your home, they sense the love and the grace and the forgiveness and the truth of Jesus, and you're pouring it out on them, whatever the cost, no matter what, that they're not going to leave your house without having seen Jesus. And I know when I say that, right, we can, we can kind of get a, a weird picture of that. Right, it can maybe sound like we're supposed to be some kind of weirdo control freak that forces them to know Jesus and forces them to be in the church. And that's not what I'm saying. And I know, actually, that there's a lot of people that have been hurt by relationships and churches like that. But we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful that we don't swing so much the other way and we neglect what's precious to us and what God calls us to do. Because I've got to be honest with you, I've had numerous conversations with parents that have all said something along the same lines of, you know, I, I, I'm just kind of letting them figure it out for themselves. I don't really want to force it on them. I just kind of want them to get a, a good picture. And I, I understand that. I really do. And I know that a lot of times that comes out of a place of hurt from either what parents did to you or an experience with the church. And I understand that. But we have to be careful that we don't neglect what we're called to do and we don't leave our kids' spiritual lives and their eternal destinies just up to chance and what happens. And there is absolutely a way that we can present Jesus intentionally and entrust the gospel without being that weirdo control freak that pushes him away. In fact, I would argue if you're, if you're really worried about that, that if you try to be too intentional about entrusting the gospel, that you're going to push him away, you might have the first part wrong, that your picture of being a disciple might be a little off. Because I'll tell you, if you really present Jesus to your kids in a way, you know, that shows his true love and his grace and his mercy, 
it's going to be hard for your kids to be that close to a true picture of Jesus and not like him. Right? Every story is different, but there is hope there. And the next generation needs us to do better and to be better. They need us to be like Jesus and to show them what it looks like to follow him, to entrust them with the gospel. They need us to reject passivity and to be people that step out into our culture and aren't afraid to speak about Jesus to them. So we've got to do that. So if you're sitting here today and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, know that you've been entrusted with something precious, right? I've been entrusted with something precious. We have the gospel. And I want to just ask you for a second, do we know how precious that is? Do we know that there are people around the world that will spend eternity separated from God because they didn't hear what we've gotten to hear? And there are others that need to hear it. The next generation needs to hear it. And we got a couple of easy ways to give you just some practical ideas as you leave here today to be thinking about how can I do this? If God is calling you to be stirred up, to figure out ways in your life, to pick a person, to pass it on, to be a part of entrusting the gospel to the next generation, there are multiple ways that you can do this at the church because it's not a job for me alone. Right? Even though I have the staff title of next generation pastor, it's not something that I can do by myself. It takes all of us. We have a vision of this church being a place and a people on this island that's known for passionately sharing the message of Jesus Christ with the next generation, with our kids, with our students, with our families. And so it takes all of us as a church coming together and being committed to that. And I know that this church is committed to that. In fact, one of the reasons that I know we're committed to that is because we are taking some steps to go farther in that commitment. And I'm excited to announce to you one of the things that's going to be happening to make that more of a reality, that I have the pleasure of announcing and introducing to you that we are hiring a full-time kids pastor and that there is someone named Ben who's going to be here in a couple months and he is amazing. So I want you to get to know him a little bit. Hey, Hilton Head Island Community Church, where the folks is. I'm Missy. I'm Lily. I'm Zoe. And I'm Ben. And we are so honored that starting March 1st, we become part of your church family. We are excited to be able to reach kids for Christ right there on the island. In fact, it's snowing here in Ohio. So what better way to celebrate than go to the beach? White sand, anyone? Hey, we'll see you soon on March 1st, and we are excited for what God's going to do to the next generation. Teenagers, kids, let's tell them about Jesus together. Are you ready? Let's go. That is the Folks family. We are so excited for them to come and be a part of this with us. They're amazing. I mean, Zoe, like, we need to get her up on stage, do some dance classes, something. I don't know. They have so much energy, so much passion for passing on the gospel. Ben is such a creative person. You guys are going to love him. I cannot wait for him to be down here with us. But I got to let you know that even with him, we're going to need help, right? It takes all of us to entrust the gospel to the next generation. And there are a variety of ways that you can do that. Right, you can jump into our next generation ministries, whether that's Island Kids or HHI students. You can be here on a Sunday leading kids 
to Christ, or you can be here on a Wednesday night walking with teenagers as they go through some of the most interesting and occasionally toughest times of their lives. We need people willing to step up and to step into those roles. In fact, I have something in HHI students called the Timothy Project that's based on what we talked about this morning, that it's based on this relationship of Paul and Timothy and entrusting the gospel to specific people. And so in that ministry, we attempt to connect our adult leaders with specific students that they're going to entrust the gospel to. And I've got to tell you, to be perfectly honest with you, we have more students than we know what to do with. We don't have enough leaders in our student ministry for it. And so we need people that are willing to step up and to step into that role to entrust the gospel to the next generation. And so you can find my contact information on the screen. I, I would love if you would just reach out to me to get more information about that. It doesn't commit you to anything. It doesn't sign you up for Island Kids or HHI students. just a chance for us to talk more and to explore how God might be calling you into that. And so I hope you will. I hope you'll reach out. I hope you'll dream with us as a church what it will look like if we become a people in a place that entrusts the gospel to the next generation that is focused on this. Right, I think our homes might look different. Our community might look different. Our country might look different. (laughs) To be quite honest with you, if a lot of Christians quit whining on social media and instead day in and day out focused on entrusting the gospel to the kids in their house and their spiritual kids that they find around, it's got to be what we're focused on. It is part of being a disciple, disciples make disciples. But that's not going to happen until we start to be the people that the next generation needs to be. We start to look like Jesus. And we pick people to intentionally entrust the gospel to. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for everything that you are doing, Lord. God, I believe That even in the place that we find ourselves in our culture, Lord, maybe in our personal lives in these last couple of tough years, Father, that that as we set our eyes on you, Lord, as we focus on the mission that you've put before us to not just be disciples, but to make disciples, God, that as we focus on that mission, so many other cares and concerns fall away and we see what's important. We see what's at stake, Lord. So I just pray that you would be at work stirring in our hearts, God, that in the church, in our country, but in this church specifically, Father, you would raise us up as a people with a passion for the next generation. That this would be a place and a people where our kids and students are constantly confronted by you and your love, your truth, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness in what we say and in what we do, Lord. So would you be right now, speaking into our lives, God, help us to see the areas, Father, where we need to be more like you. And help us to see the people, God, that are in our lives, whether it's our biological kids, whether it's our coworker, our friend, whoever it might be, Lord, that you're causing to say, I'm gonna pray for them, I'm gonna care for them, I'm gonna speak to them, I'm going to show them I'm going to be intentionally trying to entrust the gospel to them and depending on you as we do it. God, there's too much at stake to neglect it, to forget it. There's so many distractions in our culture, Lord. Would you clear those away and set our focus on you? Set our focus on giving you glory and bringing people to know you and follow you, God. Would you make that a passion in our lives, a passion that's greater than 
our desire for our own success, our money, our, our ease, our comfort. God, any of those things, give us a passion for your mission, for your glory, for your goodness and your love. God, I pray even specifically now for our church, for our children's ministry, for our kids' ministries, uh, our student ministry, God. Would you be raising people up in this church right now, specific people, be speaking into them that maybe think, you know what? Maybe I do need to step out and do something. God, if that is you or if that's them, Lord, would you be telling them that is you? All of us are called to this. So would you help us to pick those people and to step into roles where we can entrust the gospel to the next generation? And Father, we just want to give thanks and celebrate Ben and this amazing family that you're bringing to be a part of this church and to help us to do that, Lord. Would you just bless his life, guide him through this move and this transition? Lord, bring him and just allow us to continue to grow in our passion and in our outreach for the next generation, God. I can't wait to see what you're gonna do in this church and on this island, Lord. In this coming season, God, as COVID goes down, we believe that's gonna happen, Lord. Father, as you raise up people that entrust the gospel, as you raise up families on this island, God, We believe in you for that. We hope to be a part of that, Lord. We love you. We thank you that you make it possible. We thank you for your son. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.